Hi, this is Steve Durr. Today we're going to read from Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1 and going all the way to verse 29. And uh, we've been in the midst of talking about a lot of different laws, commands, guidance, uh, tabernacle details. Um, and now we're coming back into the story, a bit of the narrative of Exodus. And unfortunately, we're coming into a rough patch. <laughs> uh, this is the notorious golden calf incident in the story of Exodus. And let's remember, though, where we're at. Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving God's teaching and guidance for his people. But the people are becoming restless. Their trust is wavering, and this leads to today's story. So let's read Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now, leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord as God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. These were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout of victory nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. And when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder. He threw it in the water and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, Why did these people, what did these people do to you to make you do, bring about such a terrible sin upon them? 
Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you, take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. Well, the people had encountered God at the mountain before all this. They heard his thunderous voice. They saw the smoke, the fire, the elements stirring. They were afraid, so they told Moses to be the one to talk with God instead of having God speak directly to them. And so Moses is in this role. He continues to be the one who is the go-between, God and the people. But now, Moses, this go-between, between God and the people, he's been up on the mountain and he's taken forever to come back down. Well, not forever, just a matter of five or so weeks. But remember, Moses is their connection to the God who freed them from Egypt. If Moses is gone, that means there's no connection to this God who is leading them. It leaves them vulnerable. Therefore, the people call on Moses' brother Aaron to make an idol. Most likely, the people aren't telling Aaron to make an idol and that idol will become their God. Like, I just made the statue, now I'm going to worship it because it's got power. It seems as if the people are looking for a concrete image, a go-between, this God who freed them and their nation. Perhaps they saw this as a way to worship their God. After all, this is what they saw in Egypt and surrounding lands. The idols were conduits of worship to encounter the gods. They give an image to the invisible. In fact, Aaron seems to understand this. He sees them worshiping the calf, and he says, Tomorrow we have a festival to the Lord, to the God who led us out of Egypt. But here's the deal. The second commandment God gave them, and they agreed to, was to not make any image of a God, and that includes him. In a matter of over a little over five weeks, the people had already broken this commandment and sought to make the creator God boil and boil him down into a bit of creation. And so we see an incredible encounter between God and Moses. And after Moses seems to persuade God to not destroy the people for the rebellion, he goes down the mountain. He sees the partying around the golden calf, and he breaks the stone tablets to signify that the vows and agreements with God had been broken. The people had broken them. This is where the story started to grab my attention. This is where I typically stop the story in my mind or as I tell the story. But here we see that Moses has the idol pulverized into powder and the people are made to drink a mixture of the powder of the idol and water. And then Moses calls for people loyal to God and it's the tribe of Levi who responds, Moses' tribe, the future priests, and they rally around Moses and they go through the camp with swords and kill some 3,000 people. This is their ordination to become God's priest. They, they receive a blessing 
for the slaughter. This is a much different ordination experience than what I had as a pastor. What's going on here? Why drink the gold powder in the water? One interesting understanding is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 31. In this, is there is an instruction of what to do with a suspected adulteress. Uh, what you would do is uh, this: a woman would be made to, under oath, uh, drink bitter water mingled with dust from the floor of the tabernacle sanctuary. If she had a terrible reaction, she was considered guilty. And if she had no reaction, she was innocent. It was a way of discovering truth. With that in mind, is it possible that Moses was seeking to identify who were the ones who had given themselves over to this idol and rebelled against God? Then the Levites went through the camp and sought the guilty parties by looking at their response, and they had to impartially put the guilty to death, even if it meant their own family members. If this is how it happened, then God again is using a marriage imagery to describe his relationship with his people. They have been unfaithful. They have broken their vows. And now he's seeking to see who is faithful and who is not. Okay, I have to admit that I'm not a huge fan of these parts of the Bible that show people being killed or wiped out by what appears to be God's command. Why is that hard for me? I mean, after all, God is God. Who am I to question God? Who am I, the creation, to question the creator? God is a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. He's a God of truth. You know, sin needs to be punished, right? But here's the thing. At at the same time, I believe that, that this God who we're reading about, at the end of the day, looks like Jesus. If you want to know what God looks like, Scripture declares that you look at Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. How did he live his life? What did he teach? What did he do? How did he do it? That's how you see God. That's how you know what God's like. It's not like Jesus is like, sometimes people go, well, Jesus is a lot like God. No, no. The way to understand God is to look at Jesus. That's what scripture says. In John chapter 14, Jesus uh, explains that to see him was to see his father, God. So how do we know what God is like? We look at Jesus. So can you imagine Jesus, the one who rejected violence, who called on his followers to love their enemies, the one who told his friend to put away his sword, even in the midst of defending himself, to command his followers to find guilty people and cut them down? I mean, it's do you see kind of the, you see the trouble here? And there's all sorts of ways we can seek to make these horrific scenes more acceptable to us. And I've kind of held to a number of these over time, but it's very difficult. How would I explain this to my, my 10-year-old son? You know, one idea is that this moment was critical. It was a moment early in the life of this nation, surrounded by all these different nations with all their different gods. And God, um, in this moment, it's a serious moment. God almost wiped out his people, and he had to be strong with, against sin. He had to be strong against rebellion. And he needed a strong response. He needed to forge them into his people and protect his honor. Um, Also, we see that God was maybe clearly sending a message that idolatry will not be tolerated. Um, Some have suggested that God did not instruct Moses to even do this. I mean, some people go, no, this isn't, this can't be from God. God is not like that. So after all, you know, we don't hear God 
giving a command to Moses. We heard the conversation between Moses and God, but I don't remember God saying, and when you get down there, have people drink gold water and whoever's guilty, put them to death. Could Moses just be furious himself and use God's name to give a command, almost speaking on God's behalf? I mean, after all, this is what the gods of that land would do. So is Moses just kind of saying this? This is what God said, but really he didn't? Something else has to be going on here that I can't yet understand, but I have to continue to wrestle with and seek to understand. I can't just pretend these parts of the Bible aren't in the Bible. This is all God's word. Jesus quoted the Old Testament of the Bible. He saw it as God's word, and all of Scripture points to him. I believe that God is good. I know what God is like when I look at Jesus. So I put my hope and trust there. Yet this is a mystery. And so here's the thing. uh, Augustine of Hippo uh, said this. We are talking about God. Which wonder do you think you understand? If you understand, it is not God. (laughs) I like to... Uh, wrap my mind around God, understand everything. I like to make God manageable and boil him down into something manageable, approachable, and controllable. And unfortunately, I can't. (laughs) I can't boil him down into a golden calf and get an answer that's going to completely satisfy me. But I'm going to continue to seek. What I do know is that I am guilty. I am a sinner. I have idols, things I look to for meaning and trust, uh, that I that I comfort, find comfort and hope in. I've been unfaithful to God. I've broken the Ten Commandments. I stand guilty before God. But I do know that God sent His Son Jesus to come and to take my sin, take my rebellion, take my burden, take my guilt, and to die on the cross so that I might be made right in God's sight. And so, I don't drink from a cup of dust or gold to help identify me as guilty and deserving death. Instead, Jesus offers his body and the cup of his blood that I drink from to identify me as forgiven and I'm offered life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Have you embraced the forgiveness found in Jesus? Do you need to be reminded that God has made a way for you to return to him? Maybe today is a day to confess our failures and sins to the God who's eager to forgive and bring us back to himself because Jesus has saved us from what we deserve and given us what he deserves. And so what is God saying to you today, and what will be your response? To pray, I'm going to close in a prayer to Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Pray with me. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.